thank God for your lives, and I want to welcome you all. If this is your first time of being in the service with us, I want to welcome you specially. And uh, if you are joining online as well, I want you to know that God is reaching you right where you are. Thank you for being here, and we appreciate God for his faithfulness. I want to use this opportunity also to thank everyone that is making the service possible. A lot of people work together on a Sunday like this. Before the service, many people pray it during the week. And then on the day itself like this, you can't believe the number of you know brethren that are working in different ways to make it happen. People have cleaned this place and so many things in the week. I really want to say God bless you all and we are truly thankful. So I want to welcome everyone and I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Don't forget that as you watch us live or you are watching this recorded, especially on Facebook, Facebook Live, our broadcast page is LiveGate Outreach Center Live, and then our normal uh, publicity page is LiveGate Outreach Center on Facebook. We also have a few other pages, LiveGate Outreach Center members, and we also have friends of LiveGate Outreach Center. You can join all of them if you want, uh, because we post messages there and uh, you can basically access them. But all our messages are on YouTube, on our YouTube page, LiveGate Outreach TV. I want to encourage you to subscribe and to uh, give it to your members, family members, friends, to also subscribe. And uh, these things don't happen automatically. In social media world, we make things happen. We have to physically subscribe. At times you see people in the media world, people who are just in entertainment and uh, just doing things that are not really too of kingdom value, maybe just comedians that make people laugh and all that, you will see them asking specifically that people should subscribe. Preachers, everyone asks people to subscribe because that's the only way you can get traffic into the place. It's not just going to happen uh, automatically. So I want to encourage you to do that. Be the ambassador for this church. Be the amb- It's not for the sake of one man. It is for the sake of the message that somebody needs to hear. If it is blessing you, don't hold it to yourself. Let it bless somebody else. Hallelujah. So I want to trust God that we will all be there. And then we are on podcast. We have uh, our, our podcast name is LiveGate Outreach Center. You can find us on Spotify, Amazon Music. You can find us on all Apple platforms and all Android platforms. Uh, most of them, you can find us there. And I want to just encourage you again that, you know, that is another resource. And uh, as we go into these places and subscribe, I listen to the messages myself when I'm driving It's a good resource to listen to, Uh, and I I learn even from some of the things that I was the one that was privileged to preach, and of course, when others are preaching as well, I do find that these things help us to consolidate and to continue to learn and dig deeper into the things of God. In this end time, your stability shall be by wisdom and knowledge. The Bible has already said it. It shall be the stability of your times. The more you know, the wiser you become. The wiser you become, the more you are able to achieve. Wisdom is profitable to direct. So let's continue to apply ourselves to the word. By the grace of God, we have started a series titled Purposeful Fruitfulness, and we're in session six. The title of today's session is The Hard Working Farmer. Everybody say with me, The Hard Working Farmer. And this is very important for us as we look at the Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We've been reading that in our entire Bible reading. 
And uh, we're today focusing on verse 6. I want to thank God for what we have been having right from the beginning, to be strengthened by grace, to be impactful in our lifestyle. Then two Sundays we looked at the life of a soldier, being one who can endure and one who should not meddle with civilian affairs or carnal affairs. And then last week, Pastor Lola led us such a very powerful session. I couldn't stay the entire service, but I was listening on my way because I had a, a bit of a drive to where I was going. And uh, I was really touched even with the, with the ones I was hearing live. And then at the end of the meeting, when I uh, came back to listen to it again, on the athlete's uh, obedience, and I was really grateful to God. And I said to myself, I thank God I married this woman. Amen. And that is the truth. I'm grateful to God because I would have married somebody else that I thought was going to be my wife. You know, some of you know my story. Uh, but that person just left me. Somebody say, ah. Oh. <laughs> but God was setting me up for something much better. Now I know 30 years after, I know that God was really planning something better for me. I was blessed by that message and I want to thank God for everyone who has also commented on that message. God bless you. Thank you very much. Amen. Today, the hardworking farmer is one that I want us to look at. And we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. In my typical fashion, there's a lot to put down. Uh, you know, the truth is many times I just try to find a way to compress the things I want to say. There is usually a lot in every topic because that's the way God talks. God is so infinite that when he pours out, you just find that there's so much, and then you just have to find a way to contain it within a, a small space of time. So I would, like you to, I would like to crave your indulgence, like I always say, make a note of the scriptures. Some I will quote, some I will read out, but it will help us to understand what Paul was trying to say to Timothy here. Let's put Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, and we're going to read it together because we're going to start our discussion from there. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. Thank you, everybody. Let's read it together. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Hallelujah. Now, Paul was talking particularly about a type of farmer here, one that is rearing or one that, that is planting and uh, farming crops. But I will show you today that there are different types of farmers, but it's the same principle. The key thing here is about hard work. Understand hard work or diligence from the life of a farmer. So what Paul is saying to his son Timothy, after telling him about the grace that he has to be strong in, in the Lord Jesus, and telling him to continue to make sure that his life is impactful, and telling him about the endurance of the soldier, the discipline of the soldier, and also telling him about the obedience of the athlete that must compete according to the rules, like we learned, learned last week. He now comes to use another illustration, just to emphasize to his son, Timothy, that there is a lifestyle you must have as a minister. As a Christian, you cannot afford certain things. He said hard work is one of those things. And he used the life of a farmer to confirm it. He said the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. So when that farmer works hard, and I will tell us many things that make the hard work of a farmer what it is. It's not just about working hard in labor, but there is a strategy. Somebody said there is a strategy. Just like we said about the athlete that there is a strategy to every race. 
every hard-working farmer operates by a strategy that makes labor minimal, output maximal. They find a way. It is where they are lazy and they are refusing to understand and develop a strategy that they labor so much and have you know, minimal output which you, 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 can, you can testify exists in places where there, are ignorant, where there is still ignorance. But farmers who continue to stretch and stretch into this sphere and get more into diligence and get more into knowledge are always coming from a place of increasing their output with less and less effort. Hallelujah. And that doesn't mean the effort is not much. It just simply means that the output cannot be compared in any way, shape, or form to the degree of effort that goes in. And that's how God wants us to be. So every farmer works hard, must have a lifestyle of diligence so that they can achieve success. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy. I want to quickly give us some definitions of who a farmer is. A farmer is a person who owns or manages a farm. A farmer usually works within the sphere of what we generally refer to as agriculture, and they produce a variety of food crops or animals, and these are usually also for human or animal consumption. A farmer is simply looking out for two things, to produce this good crop and these animals or healthy animals so as to first make a living. Somebody said to make a living. And to feed the population. Somebody said to feed the population. There are two things there. That is why Paul said there is a first partaker. You make a living. As you are hardworking, you make a living. You make a life. But you also need to understand that as a farmer, you are also meant to feed the population. Now, I am not talking about, when I talk about farmers here, I'm not talking about that little thing you have in your garden that gives you five to ten tomatoes every year. That's, that's, thank God for that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about people who are professional farmers, people who are not part-time farmers. You, 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 there are people who do farming 24-7. Paul said, when you are like them, you can also be a first partaker of the fruit. Now, I'd like us to put Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 3 right through to verse 10. We're going to read a few verses very quickly to tie together what Paul is saying so that we can understand the place of diligence. Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 3 to verse 10. Thank you. Let's read verse 3 now. He said, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, those are two things. Life is for you. Somebody say, life is for me. Say, my godliness is for others. Your godliness is your ability to live the life of God for others to see. You are holy unto the Lord so that others can see the holiness of God in you. But the first thing that he gave us is everything that pertains to life. Because you must have life in order to be godly, in order to have and exhibit godliness. You must have life. Say, in Jesus' name, I have life. First John 5.12, just hold the scripture there. But First John 5.12 says that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So when you are born again, you have life. Thank you. You have life. But if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have life. You are existing, but you do not have life. Now, Paul, if you now go back to Peter, 
Second Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 3. If you go back to it, it said that he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Okay, Second Peter 1, verse 3. We're reading it to verse 10, as I said. He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Stay there. We're going to verse 10. Thank you. Now, let's go straight to verse 5. Jump to verse 5. And he said that when you have diligence, he said for this very reason, read it with me, let's go. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, somebody say giving all hard work. Add to your faith, let's go now, add to your faith virtue and to virtue what? Knowledge. Verse 6, verse 6, very quickly, let's keep going. Add to your virtue, knowledge, verse 6 now. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Let's go to verse 7. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Verse 8. Verse 8. Let's keep going. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're going to stop there. This scripture was read last week as well. But the idea here is that when you have all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge. Add to your virtue knowledge. Because if you are going to be a productive farmer, you cannot stay at the realm of what you know today. If you are going to bring more tomorrow, you must add to the diligence of today your virtue. You must add to that virtue. You must add knowledge. And as you increase in knowledge, you increase in output. So Paul is saying the hard-working farmer, the diligent farmer, the one that is always adding virtue, adding knowledge, is the one that will be partakers of the first crops. So farmers are responsible. Thank you for the scripture. Farmers are responsible for the crops and the livestock that we need to survive. Without farmers giving us these things, the world will be impoverished. People will die of hunger. This is why when there is drought in any country, or there is flooding, or there is some disaster that destroys crops, there is a plague of locusts or something, you will see that other countries will have to rise up and send aid to that country, otherwise people will start to die. This is how important the work and the role of farmers are. And so when Paul was saying and comparing this minister called Timothy to a farmer, he's saying that you must continue to be a hard worker so that there is an output in your life that will prevent people from dying. But as you are producing that thing, there is a blessing that comes to you, and it comes to you first. As you are being a blessing in the kingdom, it comes to you first. Now, many people have used this scripture to, to, to abuse in many cases, and this is not what we're talking about. They say first, a, a farmer must be the first partaker of, uh, his, uh, of the crop. So, you know, when offering is collected, they will choke hand inside and say, it's <laughs> and say it's, they are first partaking. I've seen things, and I know some of these things are embarrassing to say, but the truth is that we must understand that this is not the context of it. The, the first partaker simply means that you are blessed in the work that you are doing. 
God continues to commit to your blessing. This is what God is saying to, was, what Paul was saying to Timothy. Don't be worried. Matthew 6.33 is at work. As you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all other things are being added unto you. So you must understand that your focus and your emphasis should be that you are doing the work, not that you are after the reward. Your guarantee is settled when you understand that you are there serving God and he's there to be a blessing to you. So every one of us must keep working hard. Just like farmers are expected to work hard, we must keep working hard with the conscientiousness that we are like farmers, even as we are Christians and as ministers. A farmer has various responsibilities. Depending on the type of farmers, farmers that are into cash crop farming must know how they purchase and plant seeds. A farmer that is into animal husbandry, those are those that just basically rear uh, animals and grow them and sell them on, they must be able to purchase and understand how to source quality breeding stocks. And those who are more into animal production, whereby they, they, produce, they, they produce animals that produce other things like dairy and so on, they must be people who understand about the diet and care for the kind of animals that they keep so that those animals can be productive. So a farmer needs to have a wide knowledge. Somebody say wide knowledge. A hard-working farmer must develop himself in the place of a wide knowledge. Christians must understand that you cannot survive in ministry. And when I'm saying ministry, I'm not talking about pulpit ministry alone. It is part of ministry. But as a Christian minister called into the ministry of reconciliation that we all are called into, you must understand that you must continue to go for knowledge, not just knowledge of one thing, but knowledge of many things. Keep adding to your faith. Diligence. Keep adding to your faith, adding to your diligence, virtue. Keep adding to your virtue, knowledge. Keep adding faith. Keep adding knowledge. Because you need the general knowledge. You see, a farmer understands generally, must know things about planting dates. He must know things about harvest cycles or breeding cycles if he breeds animals. He must understand things about gestation and how animals breed, the time that they mate and how long it takes them to breed, the conditions that make it most productive. A farmer that does not understand that will be doing hit and miss and he cannot be productive. He must also have a good working knowledge of mechanics, how machines work, because serious farmers in this day and age cannot be as productive as they are, as they can be if they are not mechanized. This is what makes the difference in many countries from developing to the developed. Countries that have understood about the place of mechanization have come to a place whereby their farming has gone to the biggest levels. As a little boy, I had a few years that I lived in the United States with my late father who was doing his PhD in the late 70s and right up to 1980. And for the first time in my life, I saw where a farmer inspected his farm with helicopters and light aircraft because it is impossible to walk the length of the farm in one day. 
Where I was coming from before that time, most farmers could drive at best, drive their tractors around their farm, and that's the whole farm. But when a farmer has a farm that is about the, the, the fifth of the size of a state like Texas, one farm, you have to fly over it. If not, you will walk for, for, the, for the next 10 days. You are still trying to get through it. But they understand the place of mechanization to make that happen. You cannot plow those with hoes and cutlasses. It's impossible. You must understand. So it is their knowledge to understand how these machines work and many things. What am I trying to say here? Christians have a very narrow-minded view of the place of knowledge. We understand knowledge from knowing the verses of scripture. At least most Christians do. Some don't even understand that one. <laughs> Which is fine. Know the verses of scripture. But there is also the place of knowledge in the context at which that scriptures would apply and the context at which your audience will understand your life so that you can be productive in that place. So a strong working knowledge must always be upheld. We need to understand the remit of the law that we operate by. We shouldn't see the law as working against us all the time. It is to understand the law. A farmer in this country will know all the legislations that are put in place by the likes of DEFRA, the Department for Environment and Food and Rural Affairs. They will understand it and they will play by those rules and do their business by those rules. They don't complain by it. Christians sit down and complain against every law and complain against everything. Meanwhile, the laws of the land, yes, at times may be harsh and may be seemingly opposing, but with the wisdom of God in every generation, there is the wisdom of God that can allow us to continue to be productive in the two ways God has called us to be productive, both in our ministry call and in our secular engagements. Christians must not be people who are not having a good knowledge of the legislation and the rules and the laws by which they operate. The truth is that it is foolishness to go against the law of the land in the name of Christianity, and I'll qualify that. It is foolishness to say things and do things that are deliberately against the law in the name of defending Christ. With the wisdom of God, the same things can be said. I said the same things can be said. The same things can be said. Amen? The same messages can be passed without necessarily contravening the law. This is what farmers, must, farmers always operate by, and this is what believers must also operate by. People will say, but does that not mean you are compromising the scripture? No, you are not compromising scripture if you are preaching the truth all the time. It is about a language that needs to be communicated in the most effective way to the generation that needs to be saved. Every one of us must continue to go for that knowledge. Learn about the different dispositions, the different cultures, the different sensitivities of people around us, the things that matter to some and don't matter to some. When I was born in, in, in Kanu, northern Nigeria, on a Friday, you've got to watch how you move. You've got to watch what you wear. You've got to watch how you talk. It's, 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 it's serious for them. It is their holy day. <laughs> it is their holy day. And if you talk anyhow, you could be killed, especially around where they were making their prayers and so on. 
The same people who are friends with you and who could dine with you and travel with you and do anything with you can become very vicious. So you understand that sensitivity and it is foolishness for you to just do anything in the name of you wanting to defend Christ. So we carried ourselves with care on such days. Continue to walk in love. It never stopped anything. So my point is this. Every Christian must continue to have a good working knowledge of the place that they operate, just like farmers do. There are different types of farmers, and I'm not going to waste too much time on this, but I will just give you three types of farmers that we know in the scripture. The first type is the organic farmer, and this was given to us as an example of the first two that were ever mentioned in the Bible. Cain and Abel were organic farmers. These are people who, who develop crops and livestock, but they don't use any kind of, uh, uh, in, even in our modern day, they still exist. They don't use any kind of chemical to treat their products. Even when they use any kind of enhancement, it is in the form of organic manure and those things that help their crops. But none of it has chemicals in it. Cain, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 to 4. Let's open to that. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 to 4. We see about Cain, we see about Abel. I want us to look at them because we can see that the Bible has a recognition for the place of farmers and every one of us learning to be farmers that want to be hardworking and productive can learn from the lives of these men and women. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. It said, Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was what? A keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. In fact, that is good enough. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Somebody say, farmer of livestock. But Cain was a tiller of ground. Somebody say, farmer of crops. So these people in our modern day, we will call them organic farmers because they, they, there's no kind of, they just tilled the ground and kept sheep. David was also a, a keeper of sheep in his time. We, don't, we hardly call David a farmer because of the many things he did, but he was a farmer, a keeper of sheep, was a farmer who was interested much more in livestock. He was so passionate about it that he put his life on the line, as we know, two times to save his sheep. So every one of us must see that when the Bible talks about farming to Timothy, when Paul talked about farming to Timothy, he's saying to Timothy, remember that there is hard work. If you go to verse 3, Hard work produces, verse 3, verse 3. Let's go very quickly to verse 3. He said in, uh, in, in verse 3, go to verse 3, please. Listen to me, go to verse 3. The Bible says, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit from where? The ground to the Lord. And then verse 4, verse 4. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Of course, we know the story very well. It had to do with their attitudes. It wasn't anything to do with Paul, with Cain having, you know, bringing crops, and then God did not like crops. No, we've had that said before. That's not what it was. It was just the fact that when Abel brought his, look at that, it was the firstborn of his flock. It was the fat of his flock. It was quality. It had something to do with his heart. A hard-working farmer wants to be like Abel who is always recognizing that there is something for me to first partake of, but there is also about bringing back to God in thanksgiving. Bringing back to God in total reverence that he is the one that made it happen for me. So we have organic farmers. 
Isaac was also an organic farmer. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12 to verse 14. Isaac was also an organic farmer who planted crops in his time. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. Thank you. He said, for he had, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, verse 13, very quickly. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became what? Very prosperous. Let's go now, verse 14. Verse 14. For he had possession of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. So Isaac was not a tiller of ground per se, but he was also a person who continued to have a lot of flocks and possessions. The Lord blessed him. He was a man who sold. He was a person who sold, and he was a person who had a lot of flocks. I'm just giving us some examples of farmers in scripture. And then I will show you some characteristics of farmers that every believer must be seeking to have in order to be in that hard-working farmer category that Paul was talking about. Then we have farmers who simply are of grain and forage crops. Grain and forage crops. Ruth chapter 2 tells us about the man called Boaz. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 2. This Farmers grow grains like wheat, barley. They grow uh, things like oats, flax, and so on. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, thank you, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was what? Boaz. Verse 2. Let's read verse 2 together. Everybody, let's go. Verse 2 now. So Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said, go to him, go to her. He said to her, go my daughter. So Boaz was a person who was a farmer of grains and forage crops. Elisha was also one, as we saw in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. Now, these were people that Timothy could read about. These were people that Timothy could understand about from the book of the Torah and the book of the prophets. Timothy had access to the life of these men. So when Paul was talking to him, he was kind of also saying, just remember these farmers and see the results that they got in their lives as they were hardworking. Another man that his hard work did not just lead to him becoming a farmer with results, but took him into ministry because of his passion for farming was Elisha. The Bible says Elijah saw him, and let's read that together. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Are you reading with me? Who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Elisha was picked out of farming, a crop farmer that he was. He was tilling the ground to plant crops. And then we also have ranchers. These are people who purely deal in livestock. They purely deal in livestock. And this is examples of Abraham and Jacob. They were purely dealing in livestock. Isaac was a man who dealt with both planting and of seeds and getting a harvest of crops and also dealt in livestock. But his father and his son, Jacob, were 
till, were, were people who dealt as ranchers. They raised livestock, such as cattle or sheep. The word cattle means it's a compound word for both cows and bulls. So they raised cattle or sheep and some of the other livestock that we don't talk about. But in Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 to 2, we read about Abraham. Genesis 13, verse 1 to verse 2. Thank you. Let's read that. Genesis 13, 1 to 2. It says, Then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Let's read verse 2 together. Very important about Abraham. And Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now, the, Abraham was not dealing in minerals directly. He was not mining silver and gold. But his livestock was his trading element. His livestock was yielding to him silver and gold. I'm going somewhere with this so that we understand that a hard-working farmer is not just somebody who is just tilling the ground and doing something and working hard and that mindset. No, it is to understand that a life, a hard-working farmer is one who is strategic in certain ways. They understand their calling, they understand their place. If they are rangers, they take their livestock seriously. If they are grain farmers and forage farmers, they take their crops very seriously. And if they are organic farmers who deal with both, they understand the place of how they structure their farm settlements and make them productive so that they first have access to living or life, as it has been promised by God, and godliness, which is extending to others in making production available to many. Every time you walk into a shop, Every time you walk into a shop, Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Asda's, Waitrose, wherever it is you shop, Aldi, Lidl, all those shops, common, you know, uh, retail shops. Anytime you walk into them and you go to the aisles where you see the eggs, the fruits, the meat, the poultry, all the things that are even food and the processed food that you will see, cereals and so on that are already packaged, always remember farmers. Farmers, they are somewhere first at the beginning of the chain. And through a lot of processes and transportation and so many things that take place, you are seeing those things in the shops. This is why children, in many cases in this country, are taken to farms so that they see where it begins from. Otherwise, some of them think that eggs are plucked from trees. (laughs) Some of them think that eggs are plucked from trees. So they show them how... Farmers produce those things that we all have access to. So thank you for that scripture. Let's go to Genesis chapter 30 verse 41. See Abraham, see Abraham's grandson Jacob, who was also a livestock or rancher. He was also a livestock. Genesis chapter 30 verse 41, we're going to verse 43. The Bible says, and it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed these rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. Let's read verse 42 and verse 43 as well. Thank you. Verse 42. But when the flocks, verse 42 now, but when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob. Many of us know this story, but let's read verse 43 together loud and clear. Very quickly, verse 43, everybody go. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous, and he had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Again, you see the first thing was that he had a large flock. That formed the basis of his wealth. And post that, he could hire female servants, male servants, and even have other types of animals. Camels and donkeys 
are specifically in those days, it's like having cars and a, and a fleet of cars that people can use for transport. So it's big business to have camels and donkeys. Again, growing up as a little child in northern Nigeria, I saw a lot of camels in my days. They have killed them all, eaten them all up now. <laughs> They've eaten them all up now. <laughs> oh, dear. But it used to be such a lovely sight when those guys came from North Africa and they traveled through the desert, the Sahara Desert, and they come right into northern Nigeria. We used to go out and watch them like a, like a, like a, a carnival. And they would go one after the other. They could be up to 200 at a time, transporting goods, transporting different things that they were bringing to sell. And when they take those things and they deliver, groundnuts and things are picked from northern Nigeria, they are picked from places like Kano, Kaduna, those northern cities, and they are transported back to those countries in Algeria, Libya, Morocco. And these camels can travel for 2,000 miles. They can go for 3,000 miles on one drink of water. Fantastic animals. So Jacob became a wealthy man by dealing very well with the flocks. Jacob became an impactful man by dealing very well in the flocks. He became exceedingly prosperous. God gave him the wisdom to be able to see. Remember his dream? He had a dream and he saw the mating that was going to help him raise a livestock that would be healthy and productive. There are other farmers, dairy farmers, poultry farmer, beekeeper. There are people who make a lot of money from keeping bees. Do you know that? You don't want to go there, but it is true. They keep a lot of bees, and they have special uh, um, wares that they have to, to do their trade. When they go in there, it's a big beehive, and they harvest the honey that comes from those things. We have people called vermiculturists. These are people who just grow worms, earthworms, and they use these earthworms to eat up compost. So when you have all rotten fruit, uh, eating uh, 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 forage of uh, oranges and things like that, they put them together and put them in a heap, and they introduce these worms into them. And somehow these worms have a way of eating them and producing a waste product that after some time, it becomes very good manure that is organic and can be used by other farmers. So some farmers just simply farm those worms. There are people who farm snails today, and it's big business. They farm snails and do those things. There are people who farm alligators and crocodiles. Again, you don't want to go near where they are because these are animals that can kill people, but then through these animals, they can produce a lot of hide. What am I trying to say here? Don't just see a hard-working farmer as somebody who holds a hoe and is just plowing the ground and working hard and sweating and say, this is hard work. See somebody who understands specializations, who understands markets, who understands environment, who understands weather, who understands mechanical equipment, somebody who understands many things. A Christian must be like that. Which kind of a farmer are you in the body of Christ? If you don't understand that you are either a livestock or crop farmer or somebody who is organic or somebody who is even called into some of the very, very less known areas like vermiculture, like we talked, aquaculture, just fish farming and those things. If you don't understand, you will find yourself not being able to, hard, to work hard diligently. 
every Christian must understand their area of calling so that they can be first partakers. One of the things that make a Christian successful in what they do is understanding their call, understanding their kind, the kind of a farmer that they are. We are God's field, but we are farmers. And every one of us must continue to see ourselves called of God in a special way. When I was in, my, in the university, my mother, this was my first degree, I was a teenager in university. I just finished teenage by the time I was graduating because I graduated very quickly. I started my primary school at age four. So by the time I was 20, I was out of civil engineering degree. Um, that's my story. But you see, as 17, 18, 19 year old, I was in the university. It was very uncommon. Most of my classmates were three years older than me, two years older than me. That, that was my life then. Um, but I would come home. My mother said to me, you know, I can support you in a special way with poultry farming. We are going to do a poultry, and this is how. I don't have time because she was working in a bank at that time as an administrative officer. And my father was, you know, very busy, of course, in his uh, educational pursuits and work. And so, but my, my mother said to me, if, you, if we can strategize, every time you come home, we can use this poultry, sell it and do things. So we now found that we can be doing, we can have layers who are always laying eggs. And then we had this special breed of poultry called broilers, who those days turned around in about six weeks. If you, if you bought them now as chicks, in six weeks they are ready to sell. And you can make money. So we will strategize when it's remaining about seven weeks for me to come for my holiday, they will go and get the broilers, the chicks, and they will start feeding them and feeding them. By the time I get home, they're about a week ready, so I'll just take care of them for about a week, and then after that, I had connections of restaurants. I had made connections in town of restaurants and things, and I'll take my mother's B2 car and go and deliver. And by the time I'm going back to school after three weeks, I've made so much money those days. I've made so much money, and my mother would give me everything. Just take some operational money out, give me everything. And I learned from that point that, you know, a lot of things are commonized in the farming world. A lot of things are commonized. And we must all understand that this is how we don't, we trivialize the giftings that we have as well as Christians. We must understand that there is something we have that can bring us the peace and fulfillment we need in this life, even as we are doing the work of God. The, the farmer that is hardworking is a first partaker. is blessed by it. It is the way of the working of God. We are a world that is so fixated in making life in such a way that we don't understand that God has a way that as you serve him and as you use your him, there are things that we yield for you that God will continue to make happen for you. And I pray that as we look at this nature of these hardworking farmers, God will be teaching us things. In the next few minutes, I want to quickly take us through four key areas that are the nature of hardworking farmers. Say with me, number one, they are adventurous and visionary. Number two, say with me that they are enterprising. Number three, they are patient and confident. Then number four, it is a compound of many of three words, but write them down. I'll go through them again. The fourth thing is they are in 
inquisitive, say with me, inquisitive, investigative, and intellectual. Say farmers are inquisitive, they are investigative, and they are intellectual. This is important. Number one is what? They are adventurous and visionary. Number two, they are they are enterprising. Number three, they are patient and confident. Number four, they are inquisitive, investigative, and intellectual. What do I mean by these things? You see, I want us to understand that if we are going to become all that God wants us to enjoy in life and ministry, we must have this attribute of farmers. There are many attributes, as I was doing my research, there are many attributes of farmers, but for the sake of time, I just try to comprise them into these four. A mindset of adventure is part and parcel of a successful farmer. One that is willing to take risks. Farmers are never settled in the comfort zones. No, never. They understand that for you to be able to produce something out of the ground that nobody has ever seen, you must be willing to go to places where people have not gone. You must be willing to see jungles and places where there could be dangerous animals or difficult and harsh terrains in ways that people don't see them. So you must have a sense of adventure. And when God sees you as a person with a sense of adventure, he gives you vision. Vision doesn't come to people who do not have a sense of adventure. Even when it comes, they will not know it because you must have an adventurous mind for you to be visionary in life. By the time God came to Abraham and he said, come out of your people, Genesis 12, and he said, come out of your people and I will take you to a land that I'm showing you. He had seen the mindset of adventure. That is the kind of man that will start going without knowing where he's going. That's an adventurous man. A Christian that is not adventurous cannot be visionary. So farmers are adventurous and visionary. They don't look at things the way normal other people, let me not say uh, because they are not abnormal, but they are other people. They don't look at things the way other people look at them. If you are going to be a Christian that will be first partaking of your crops and be a farmer that is productive in this end time, you must have a sense of adventure. You must have a sense of vision. You must be willing to do things, to explore things in ways people have not. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4 to verse 5 is a quality that tells you about how farmers are able to succeed in their passion for adventure and how they are vision. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 to verse 6 actually. We'll go to verse 6 but first two verses we'll read is verse 4 and 5. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. Let's read together. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the cloud will not reap. Look at the two things. How can you reap if you don't sow? How can you reap if you don't sow? A lot of believers want to just reap without understanding the place of sowing. And I'm not talking about money now. Before you say, ah, they have started again. Tithes and offerings. <laughs> because the moment you say so in the church, many days now, ah, they say they have come against money. <laughs> of course, you sow that way, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about investments into your life that will bring something later. He said, he who observes the wind will not sow. Too many believers observe the wind. They look at the reason why they should not sow. 
put their time, their energy into the things of God because they see the wind of discouragement, the wind of resistance, the wind of opposition. That is all they see. A pastor that keeps looking at wind can never ever attain anything in ministry. He can't even survive it from week to week. Because the winds will always be there. He said, he who regards the cloud will not reap. Even after when the harvest is ready, the one who keeps looking outside and says, ah, it's about to rain. He will not go out until the harvest starts to rotten up. Somebody say, God forbid. Verse 5. He said, as you do not know. Let's read verse 5 together, everybody. Verse 5. As you do not know what is in the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. You do not know the works of God who makes everything. So to be a hard-working farmer, you must be adventurous and visionary. You must let God put on your inside vision that will make you disregard the wind. Knowing fully well that you don't know the way of the wind. You don't know how bones grow in the womb of she who is with child. And you don't know the works of God who makes everything. Every parent will tell you that one of the first most beautiful sights they witness in their life together is the scan of their first baby. It's indescribable. Mine was full of a lot of interesting stories. <laughs> the young man was moving about. The doctor said he's very active. I said, I can see that. <laughs> right there in the womb, he was just something. <laughs> it was very interesting. Nobody knows how it happens. Then the time comes, he stays in one position. Doesn't move again, ready. Except like, you are like one, one like that, that I won't tell you who, who it is. <laughs> From day one, he just, that one just stood in one position. One of our children just stood in one position. The mother has to tap from time to time. Say, are you there? Then he would touch with one finger like that. Say, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and continues. <laughs> but the other one, oh, everywhere. Because nobody understands. 20 years plus later, we see things play out in their lives that still relate to some of those pictures. Nobody understands. Nobody understands. So why are you afraid? God knows what he's doing. In the year 2006, I think after leaving my comfort zone in my country in 2000, my country Nigeria, my birth country Nigeria, in the year 2000, and coming to this country... I think after that, the year 2006 was the greatest risk I've ever taken up to that point until starting this ministry. I think that one is the biggest risk ever. But in 2006, I, was, I had finished my degree. I was in a comfortable job, comfortable contract job with the university. And suddenly it the sense of adventure of wanting to go into practice came on me so strongly. I started looking for work in industry. Before coming to the UK, I was a practicing engineer, so I had some consulting experience, but every time I tried to kind of go back into it, they would say, I have no UK experience. So the adventurous nature came on me and said, you've got to go for it. So I started looking, and God sent me 
a, a, an agent that was just divine. I never met this guy. His name is Kevin. And Kevin told me what I needed to do to get my qualification, my chartership, and so on. When he saw my CV, I went through all those processes, got those qualifications. Now I just needed a job. So he took it upon himself. He got a job for me. They were offering me something. He said, don't take that one. I was happy to take that one. He said, don't take that one. I can get you something better. When he got me the job, the job was in Coventry. Now I lived here. I had bought house here in Wolverhampton at that time. To go to Coventry every day for a job, how was that going to work, and so on. But most importantly, to leave this comfortable job that was giving me a decent salary, and I was on a work permit, to go and take a job, to change my work permit to another employer who was a one-man band. It's like putting my whole life into his hand. If he comes to the job, one day I say, Dave, I, I, I don't like your face anymore. You know, I'm just tired. <laughs> That's it. My work permit finished. Everything finished. I have to move my family if I don't get another job. That was how risky it was. Three children. Three wonderful children. <laughs> Growing very fast under me. I took my wife to the interview venue. We went there. It didn't even look like it. The office was old. The place. But as soon as I packed the car, I said to my wife, I said, this is the place. I said, this is the place as in we have arrived there, but at the same time prophetically saying, this is it. To cut the long story short, that decision till today is one of the best decisions I've ever taken in life. For three years, I learned under this man, two and a half years and then another year in another firm, I learned under this man two and a half years what it is to practice consultancy in a very simple way. Because he was a one-man band virtually, and I was supposed to be a senior engineer under him. But as I learned those principles, and as it was time for me to kind of say, I want to go back into academia, because if you have a PhD, somehow you don't want to move away from academia. I don't know why it, what it does to you like that. I just wanted to continue to produce PhDs, do those things that academics do. So I was just thinking in my mind, one day, to cut the long story short, and then I got a phone call from the university that I left just three years before. I said, David, we've got a position, and uh, we think it will be good for you. It's not all about teaching. We know you don't want to do everything. We want to be in industry. This will give you a bit of both worlds and all that. I said, it sounds nice. Thank you for sharing this with me. And to cut the long story short, that was how I went. I was asked to go for an interview, and then I got that job, and I went back. But after going back, I set up my own consultancy firm, which by the grace of God till today, since 2008, 2009, by the grace of God till today, has been an extraordinary input of God in my life. But I keep asking myself, what if I was looking at the wind? What if I was looking at the, the dangers? Now, please, don't go and leave your work permit. I beg you. I beg you, in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Don't go and leave your work permit and say God has given me... No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> That's not a revelation at all. Keep your work permit, but by all means, if God is speaking to you in that way or in another way to stretch, as long as God is in it, you will succeed. I say as long as God is in it, you will succeed. In the name of Jesus. Some of you need to just be daring to take on 
a part-time training. Be daring to part with two and a half thousand pounds to take a certification online. Learn it for six weeks. Deny yourself sleep for six weeks. Get that certification. You are IT literate. You can understand things. You just need to let God lead you. It will cost you two and a half thousand. Stop thinking about things that are not. What is two and a half thousand pounds? If you before you know it now, two and a half thousand pounds will go. You will not even see what you did with it. Something that can bring you two hundred thousand in five years. Be adventurous. The hard work does not just mean you are working hard shift to shift to shift to shift. They say, they say hard work. Let's keep working. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Don't you like a work that you will do that in, in two hours you can earn 300, 400 pounds just for doing something small in an hour or two? Don't you like such a thing? In, in, by the time I gained that experience, the next firm I, want, I went to work for, in 2009, I was working for them. In 2009, they were charging for me 100 pounds every hour our client asked for my services. 100 pounds every hour. In 2009, not today. I'm sure if I work there now, it would probably be about 400 to 500 pounds. I'm not boasting, but that's the truth. People who are there as directors today, that's what they charge an hour when they go to service clients. Just by taking an adventurous risk and allowing God to expand vision. Then God showed me how, side by side, with hard work and diligence and his help, you can put academia side by side practice. And I've done that for many years now. Am I saying it's easy? No, it takes a lot of work. But I ask myself, I know how much by the grace of God God has put into my hands to go into this work. And I keep asking myself, what if I did not have that extra? What if I did not have? What if I did not have? May God make you adventurous in the name of Jesus. Some of you, your wives or your spouses have a better potential to learn something. Especially we men now. Men, men, listen to me. Some of your wives have potential. They are better at certain things. Encourage them. You are reading about it. You know it is your wife's skill set. Don't say, but I'm the one that should be doing it because... I'm the breadwinner. There is nothing like breadwinner. If your wife has a better aptitude for something, she's more mathematically inclined. Computers fly through her head like water. Call her, say, honey, come, 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 come. (laughs) This is good for you. Hallelujah. Look at it very well. Hallelujah. (laughs) I'll support you. I'll support you. I'll pay for everything. Anything that you need, I'll pay for it. Ah, it's true. Put that one too. <laughs> Don't just say go and do it and look for money. Eh? Because if you are the one to do it, you, you will pay for it yourself. Yeah. When my wife was doing nursing, I was reading the nursing like this myself. In fact, when she did it, they were giving her certificate. I wanted to stand up and say, Me too, I need <laughs> Me too, RMNH. <laughs> Me too, I'm David Oloke, RMNH. Because we were reading all the assignments together. I had academic brain. I'm not a nurse. But I can structure a report easily. Whatever you are writing, I can structure it. So I will ask her, bring it. Let me see. I said, okay, that is introduction. That is this. When she said, how about this? I said, just write this in. <laughs> and God help. But you see, when she moved to a higher qualification that she's been doing, a master's, she's done a postgraduate diploma. Let's appreciate God for that. God is faithful. God is faithful. I'm moving on to the masters. The thing became very technical for me. When I read it, my head is boiling. 
So I said to her, I don't think I can help you anymore. <laughs> but as for paying, I will pay. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, at the end of the day, every income to every reasonable family belongs to everybody. What are you competing with? You compete with your wife. <laughs> you are competing with your wife, your husband. Instead of you to join forces together and be adventurous, adventurous and be visionary together, see yourself taking new grounds together. This is a land of many opportunities. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody deceive you. If you can watch and strategize yourself very well and then ask questions, listen to young people. There are young people who have better information as to what you can do these days. It is not everything that has to do with you go for first degree, you go for master's, you go for PhD, and then post-PhD, and professor. No, 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 no. There are many people who, do not, who barely have that first one, and they are employing people who have the third one. I'm not saying, you, you know I have PhD. I believe in doing that. I'm not saying you should not do it. <laughs> so I'm not knocking it down. I'm only saying that think strategize. Hard-working farmers are adventurous. When they see a field, people see emptiness. They see crops. They see animals. They see things. Then they start to take risk. They take their money and go and buy animals. Put them in one corner. They die. They start again. When we are doing poultry, at times they will get this thing called coccidiosis. You know coccidiosis? If it catches one, if you did not see it within one hour, you just see all of them doing like that. <laughs> Terrible thing. And they will all die. We will quickly pack them out, fumigate the place, and go and bring another set. If not, I will not have enough money to go back to university. <laughs> A hard-working farmer is adventurous. Very quickly, time is gone now. Number two, they are enterprising, which is linked to it. They are enterprising. Verse 6 now. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6. He said, in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know. Somebody say, you do not know which will prosper. Either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. The truth is, when you read that scripture, it looks like you are saying that you should be gambling and guessing. No. It just saying that when you know what is right to do, keep doing it, keep doing it. We preach here every Sunday. I don't know which message will touch somebody in, in Japan. I don't know. I just come here and sow the seed. I don't know which one will bless somebody right there in Wolverhampton. I don't know. I don't know which one will be the turning point for somebody who has been listening to me for 10 years. I don't know. But in the morning, I sow my seed. In the evening, verse 6, in the evening, I don't hold back my hand. Keep sowing, keep sowing. That's why you see me at the prayer meeting. Some of the days you see me at prayer meeting, I'm in another country. At times, I'm on the motorway. Some of you don't know. <laughs> That's why I put that background. That don't make you guess where I am. <laughs> I put this background so you don't know where I am. I can be in uh, Dubai or oh, Brighton. It doesn't matter. As long as technology makes us anywhere. You have slept for six hours. I've only slept for three. Just because I want to pray with my brethren. I want to see a change. In the morning, I sow that seed. In the evening, I do not hold back. So you are enterprising. And then, you see, entrepreneurship means that you have the ability to see seed becoming crops. Entrepreneurship means that you have this instinct to see how when you sow something and you put into something, you are seeing the output even before it comes. Number three, they are patient and confident. Every farmer must understand this. James chapter 5 verse 7. Say, Lord, help me to be patient 
and confident in you. James chapter 5 verse 7, very quickly. James 5 7. James 5 7. It says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. What did he say next? Let's read it together. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Many people are impatient, especially younger people. When we were graduating, they gave us titles like pupil engineer, graduate engineer. Now they don't want to bear those kind of names. When you call them pupil, they say they have graduated. They say, we know you have graduated. <laughs> they say, what do you want to be called? Consultant. <laughs> consultant. After 30 years, I am just using consultant. After 25 years, in our days, you must have practiced a lot. You know what a consultant means? It means that when you say something, nobody, they don't have to check it before they go and do it. Who are you? You have just graduated. You say you are consulting. What are you consulting? <laughs> Sit down and learn, my friend. <laughs> Everybody wants to be executive. And if you don't put those titles, even in job, I'm trying to recruit to some people in my team in at the university. I find that if you don't, if you are not careful with the title, they will not apply. If you just say something, officer. Yeah, no, they don't like officer. You have to say executive. Yes. Data assistant. You can put assistant, they don't mind. So you say assistant executive. <laughs> they, they will apply. <laughs> they don't care if you like it's 30,000 or 25,000 pounds. That's not their problem. But they say title of the job. You say something quality officer. <laughs> but if you say assistant executive, they say, yeah, now you are talking. <laughs> no, we need to be patient and grow. I am not saying that we should limit ourselves. Of course, there is speed in everything. I like the speed of the young people. I emulate it. They don't waste time. One of my youngsters saw me reading one fat thesis some month back. And I was an external examiner to some PhD holder, in a PhD student in Glasgow University. And so I was reading it and reading it. And, and then he came to me. He said, Dad. I said, yeah. I said, I notice you read these things a lot. He said, how much do they pay you for this? <laughs> I said, well, maybe about 200 pounds or 300 pounds. That we don't do it for the money, we do it for the esteem. He said, esteem? He said, esteem? <laughs> I said, don't you like esteem? He said, ah, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Can you pay me 300 for reading this fat book? <laughs> We're in different generations. And I don't blame them. I, I don't blame them. They're in a hurry. They're in a hurry, and we can channel that hurry in a good way. But you see, we must learn that there is a place for patience and growing. They say, as we are patient until the coming of the Lord, see how a farmer waits. A proper farmer will sow and understand that all I need to do is to be watering and watering. And you know, watering is relative. If you are expecting maize or corn, if that's what you have planted, you can expect something in a few weeks to start sprouting. If you are expecting oak trees, you do it for years. You water for years. It happens in every sphere of life. This is what we are doing as a ministry. I'm not expecting to see feeble things grow out of life gate. We are watering and watering, sowing the seed and watering, because what we see that is going to stand and become what will be, what God has said, is not a child's play. So you have to be patient you have to sow and be patient and be confident in God. Patience and confidence go together because if you lose confidence, 
you will lose patience. If you are confident and you, if you lose patience, you can lose your confidence as well. They go together all the time. You are confident in God that whatever he has said will come to pass, will come to pass. The number four thing I told you is that they are inquisitive, what? Investigative, and they are, they are intellectual. It is all a sequence. I deliberately chose them. Inquisitive means that they are always observing. They are looking at things as they are happening. And the investigative means when they see something that catches their fancy, they want to dig down deeper. And when they get to the bottom of it, they develop their intellectual capacity. The psalmist said something in Psalm 104, verse 10. The Bible says he sends the spring into the valleys, verse 10 to verse 14. Psalm 104, verse 10 to verse 14. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast. Just being inquisitive. They flow among the hills, verse 11. They give drink to every beast in the field. The wild donkeys, they quench their thirst, verse 12. By them, the birds and the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches, verse 13. He said, he waters the hills from the upper chamber. Somebody say irrigation. A farmer sees that God naturally irrigates the land. So they learn from there and they force irrigation or make irrigation happen in areas that naturally will not have that kind of landscape because they are, they are inquisitive, because they can see what others are not seeing. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation to service the man that he may bring forth food from the earth. When you are inquisitive, you will be investigative. When you are investigative, you will always come out. I always tell my PhD students, when you try something, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean you have failed. You have only learned another way that you can report. It doesn't work. It's just that when you have done too many of it, then we have a concern. <laughs> but if you try two things, and then the third one works, don't feel ashamed. Write the first two. Say, this, this thesis, this study, tried approach A, approach B. It did not work. So the other people will not come and try it. Or when they try it, they will not try it exactly the way you did because you have already told them that it doesn't work. That is still contributing to knowledge. They asked Edison, how did you make the light bulb and that after 1,000 times, after 999 times, the 1,000 times worked? He said, I did not fail 999 times. I only learned 999 ways not to do it until I found the 1,000th way that worked. That is the way to go. Be positive. Be inquisitive. Be investigative. Ask questions. I don't know why people are always too proud to ask questions. You don't know something. You see somebody that you know clearly knows it. Ask them questions. Ask them questions. At times we prefer to keep our ignorance and walk around because we are proud. And then we suffer. Unnecessarily suffering. Every farmer will look at ways. In the year 1998, I had the opportunity of going to Israel. One of my lifetime experiences in travel. Six weeks in that country reached everywhere from Jerusalem to Eilat, to Nazareth, Bethlehem, everywhere you can think of, we were there. Tel Aviv, we, we were both lodged in, in, in Tel Aviv. Lovely time of my life, I can't forget. One of the most fascinating things, two fascinating things I saw because we went to study their agricultural practices in a, in a course I went to look at at that time called uh, hydrometeorology. So they were teaching us a bit of their agriculture. These guys, live in a desert like everybody else. But they grow, and, they grow crops and raise animals 
that feed the entire world, their region and the entire world. A lot of the Middle East buy their crops from Israel. There was a time they were not having rain, and they found that the reason they were not having rain is that their clouds were scattered all over the air, and until you have a cumulative cloud, cumulus cloud that comes together before rain can come. So they discovered that silver nitrate in the atmosphere makes droplets of cloud come together. So they put silver nitrate gas on many planes and took to the skies. Their pilots, their Air, Air, Air Force pilots, went to the sky and were flying about, spraying silver nitrate, spraying silver nitrate. And before their very eyes, they came back down. Before their very eyes, the clouds started coming together like that. <laughs> and they saw that they could force it to happen, and it, does, it did rain. I think God just allowed them to see that it is possible, because after that time, they were spending more money. It didn't work. <laughs> If not, they would have, it's like Tower of Babel, you know, if not, they would say, God, we don't need you anymore. But God let them see that if you are investigative and you can, if you are inquisitive and you're investigative, you can develop your intellectual capacity. The other one I saw was that they were able to make orange grow on an apple tree. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> have you ever heard anybody preach and say, hey, you cannot plant an apple? And say, I, used, I, don't, I used to preach like that until I went to Israel. <laughs> You cannot plant apple and see orange. No, I saw it in Israel. <laughs> I saw it, not that I was told. So before 1998, I was preaching like that. You cannot plant apple. Then after that, I changed that message. That you can plant anything and God can make anything grow. <laughs> but the reality is that they grafted orange branches in a very special way, controlled condition, and put it on apple branches, uh, on apple trees. And those branches of oranges, so they tied it and did normal grafting, but with some kind of way they did it. And those oranges continued to grow, continued to produce fruit, orange fruit. Don't ask me. I saw it. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> I can't explain it. A Christian must not confine themselves to the normal. There is a world out there that is waiting for our message if we think that it is the one we are like what our outreach minister was saying yesterday about the innovative ways we need to get to reach the world that we have today, we cannot continue to preach the things we preached in 2002. In fact, starting from 1972, some Christians have not moved from 1972 to, to 82 to 92 to 2002. Some are still in the syllabus of 2012. 2012 is obsolete now. Do you know that? It's obsolete. 2002, do you know that there was no broadband? There was still dial-up in this country when I came in 2000. Dial-up. When you would go on the internet and dial something, crack, crack, crack. I said, that's what I met in this country. Then broadband, then Wi-Fi. So we must be people who are willing to be intellectually developed. I must not close this without reading this scripture. Romans 12:11. it says, Don't be lagging in diligence. Be fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Romans 12, 11, thank you. Don't be lagging in diligence, but it is all about the Lord. Let's not be like the man in Luke 12. Look at Luke 12, 16 to 21. Let's not be like that man, that farmer. Luke 12, 16 to 21. He was diligent, but he was not about serving the Lord. He was not even about reaching out to others. A farmer must be a first partaker, but it must not end on you. 
you should not be the last partaker of the blessings of God on your life. Be first partaker, but don't be the last partaker. This man, the Bible says, Jesus spoke a parable to them. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. So he was a farmer, verse, verse 17. Let's go quickly, verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store more crops? Then verse 18, verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Verse 19, verse 19. Verse 19. He said, and I will say to my soul, that's where he missed it. If he was storing all those goods to be a blessing, to ask for distributors to come, so that that food can reach many other people, he would have not incurred the wrath of God. Just like Tower of Babel, if those people were building and saying, oh, we're going to build something here that will glorify God, that when people come around, they will say, oh, there is a God in heaven, they would have built it. But because they say, let's make a name for ourselves. This man said, oh, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Just me, me, myself, and I. Verse 20, verse 20, verse 20. But God said to him, fool! This night your soul will be required of you. He said, then whose will those things be which you have provided? Fool. Verse 21, let's read verse 21 together, everybody. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All these things we are saying about blessing, increasing, it's not about you. God said to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. I have become a citizen of this country since 2008. The laboring I'm laboring today is for many others that I know God called to the country to become citizens as well. I don't know how many passports I've signed for people, how many references I've given to the Home Office for people to become citizens. Because it's not about me. The one God gave me is not about me. No, it's about many more people like me to also have a better way of influencing. By the special grace of the Almighty God, I have a voice today, a little voice in the society but I came like everybody else in many cases who are in like my category. I don't want to be like this fool who will put his leg and say, I'll be merry and eating myself. That's why I'm still subjecting myself to a lot of things that are not necessarily convenient for me, but will be a blessing to many more people. Your marriage is okay. Thank God for you. And you and your husband, oh, it's so nice. But can you look around you and see those who are struggling? Have you offered them a meal? Have you offered them something? Have you looked into their situation and seen how? Don't say, I've tried, I've tried. I, I can't do more. No, keep trying. <laughs> keep trying. It's not about you, but it's about being rich towards God. When you have that money, don't let the first thing that comes to your mind say, which country have I not gone? Acapulco. <laughs> how much is it? 3,000 pounds. Book it, book it. Charge it now. Then when it comes to God is good, they say all the time, everybody now it's time to bless the Lord with an offering. You say, take that 10 pounds. Take it. It's why all these pastors, we don't know what they are doing with the money, all of them. <laughs> that is not being rich toward God. Be generous with everything God has given you. I've made up my mind. My engineering skills, my education skills, my teaching skills, everything I have, my children, my wife, everything I can keep giving to God, to use to his glory, to keep encouraging, to say, just be using it to the glory of God. 
till I leave this world by the grace of the almighty God upon my life. That is my commitment. I want you to commit like that with me. Enough of ministry that is just about what I can get. Many people join church today and say, what is that church? What can I get there? And God has put something in you for you to come and contribute and make things happen. That is the way we change this kingdom. Let's rise to our feet.